Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have... Olivia Hale. Yes, we do. It's a great interview. She's, um, she writes romance. Yes. Yes. She writes romance and we talked to her. She, this was a listener request. People Mm -hmm. wanted to hear from her and she was gracious enough to come on and talk with us about her books. And Mm -hmm. we talked about like marketing and how Mm -hmm. she, um, some of the mistakes she made early on and how she made adjustments and Mm -hmm. kind of found her kind of sweet spot for Mm -hmm. writing and marketing. And um, it was really like how she talked about how she builds in fail safes into her series in case she needs to stop the series. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember too, I talked to, I asked about, because she writes billionaires. Mm -hmm. And we talked about like staying in your lane and Mm -hmm. how she doesn't, how she keeps that interesting and doesn't get bored and the Mm -hmm. different things she does to Mm -hmm. make sure that she's um, excited about writing. Yeah. yeah. So we really enjoy talking to her. Yeah. I think I think y'all will enjoy good. listening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what's been going on with you? Well, first I have a little correction to make. I think last episode, uh, in the episode we were talking about releasing, and I think I said I hadn't released a book in a year. And mm. later on, I thought that's not true because, <laughs> I, <laughs> because I released translations in oh, 2022. Yeah. So yes. I went back and looked and I released seven translations. They were a combination of German and French. And so that helped me keep my uh, income going. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in my mind, those are not new books. And so when mm-hmm. I talk about releasing a book, I'm always thinking mm-hmm. about the new book. The new one. So yeah. That is a, uh, so I did release some books, but it was mm-hmm. like old content. Yeah remade yeah. new. So yes. anyway, so I thought that was funny and just to really clar- clarify that because yeah. anybody looks back and goes, wait a minute. So <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, so that is what I did last year, but um, mm-hmm. this week, last we week been- <laughs> or this, <laughs> this week? week, this week we have been working on, um, did some writing, got some good words in. So I was really happy mm-hmm. with that. And mm-hmm. we've, I've also been working on switching the podcast over to a new host mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we can do something different and new. And mm-hmm. um, we're uh, set up now on Buzzsprout, which is a great platform. And they have yep. a really easy way. If you want to support the podcast, you can do that. So mm-hmm. now I mean, we've been doing this for three years. The 150th episode went by and we didn't even notice. <laughs> you realize that? Y'all, we're the worst. We're really bad at like doing this. Is episode one fifty two when this is oh, going? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you want to support us, you can. I think they have different levels. Just it's just to support, and you can do it for one month and then stop. You don't have to do it every month. Um, but we just thought we'd give the option. Yeah. So yeah. So if you if the podcast has been valuable to you mm-hmm. and you want to show your support. It's not like we're going to stop doing this if nobody supports us. But <laughs> this is something that we've thought about for a while that maybe we should make this an option. Hold the podcast hostage. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> so anyway, oh my gosh. so if anyone's interested in that, the link will be in the show notes. But yeah. um, and I was going to also mention that we're trans since we're doing all this transferring over our actual website. It may take a week or two for all that to get updated and transferred into. Mm-hmm. So so that may be a little bit behind. But um, the podcast feed will be no no issues there. That will be Seamless. the same. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you want to go check it out, you can go to. I made two links. One that's easier for me to remember, sarahrosette.com forward cast support, forward slash support. And that goes to the podcast support. And then mm-hmm. wish I'd known for writers.com forward slash support. So either one of those. Yeah. yeah. So great. That's a big thing we've got going yeah. on. And that took some time, yeah. but that's about all, all my writing news I've got this week. What about you, Jamie? Um, well, I was writing. Well, I am. I wrote yesterday, but. Monday and Tuesday were kind of hard days. I don't know why. I just woke up and it was like that. And I thought after Monday, I'll be okay. And then Tuesday I woke up. And so I've just found that I can't really, well, one of those days I did write, I did one 20 minute sprint, but Mm -hmm. I'm just being nice to myself and um, trying to, anytime I hear myself say I should do this. Uh, I stop myself. And so, yeah, there, there's that. I have, uh, you know, I gave away those consulting mm-hmm. sessions and I just finished uh, the last one today. And I have just loved doing that. It was so fun. And uh, so I think that's something I'll do throughout the year. Yeah, just, I think you uh, should. Yeah, give them away. Um, I do actually also have a service that I, where I do that, but, um, it, it's just fun. I just really mm-hmm. liked it. It brought me a lot of joy and, uh, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but that is where I'm focusing my attention. Um, I did notice last night that Joanna Penn's, uh, Kickstarter yes. did fund. Yeah. Worried. And I was like, why is she worried? <laughs> uh, but that was such a fun interview last week. And, uh, so anyway, I was yeah. I was happy to see. Yeah, and it is she, still yeah. I think when this goes out, it will still be going on. So if mm-hmm. you're interested in like if you listened last week and did a, mm-hmm. get a chance to go check it out, mm-hmm. it has funded, so there's no mm-hmm. need to hold back and say, "Oh, well, I don't know. If if it funds, mm-hmm. I'll support." But it's definitely yeah. she's definitely going to be putting out those books and they sound really cool with the mm-hmm. color pictures and mm-hmm. the foil and all that. Yeah. They do. Yeah. I, not something I want to do, but but I I love reading about when people do things that <laughs> I don't want to do. Um, and I guess that's really it. I am um, just kind of focusing on this story. And I have realized that it's probably not as funny as, as I'd like it to be. But um, I'm just trusting that but it's that's okay. I'll make I mean, it funny. Yeah, I was going to say our first drafts are rel- rarely like, oh, yes. Chef's Kiss, perfect. Chef's you know? kiss. <laughs> Mine are like, yeah. Oh, I was going to tell you about this too. Mm-hmm. Speaking of not perfect, um, I tried out pseudo write a long time ago. Joanna Penn mm-hmm. talked about it last week. I tried it out a long time ago, and I was like, eh, I don't feel like it's really like I needed a some help to get better at mm-hmm. it, really use mm-hmm. it. So I watched a couple of videos and with chat GPT, I was like, you know, I think maybe I could try that again. So mm-hmm. I signed back in and really all I'm using it for is like 
uh, I have a tendency to do like, I'll write a paragraph and I use the same word like seven times, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. and today it was timber, like the timber of his voice. And I'm like, <laughs> Why am I using this? Like I never use this word. So, but you can highlight a passage and put yeah. it in pseudo right and say rephrase and it'll kind of rephrase it just in a different way. And I've never, like, I don't take what it, the output and then paste it in my document, mm-hmm. but I'll go, Oh, I could use yeah. that. So I'll pull yeah. a word. Yeah. Or uh, uh, take a phrase, you know, and kind of reword it. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. been really interesting. And I do think, I don't know if it will help me write faster, but I think it right. does give me a little like new perspective on things. Yeah. So it's a good anyway. tool. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of a follow up on the AI thing from last mm-hmm. week, too. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, yeah. That's all I have. So we should get on with the interview. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Here is all Olivia. Right. Today, we are really happy to talk to Olivia Hale. Hi, Olivia. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks. Really excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. Thanks for uh, staying up late to uh, be with us. (laughs) Thank you. So let me read your bio and then we'll get started. Olivia is the author of Contemporary Romance with 16 books out. She loves writing books with smart heroines and plenty of banter. I love that too. I do too. I do too. So tell us how you got into writing, Olivia. So I think my um, villain origin story isn't super unique. I think most of us really um, love books, you know, since I've learned how to read. And I always had this idea in the back of my mind that I'd be a writer one day. Mm-hmm. And that was a very long-term goal. I was like, I'll have my, my career, my proper career, quote unquote. And then, you know, when I'm 40 or 45 or whatever, you know, when I was a teenager, that struck me as very far away. I'd settle <laughs> down from my proper career and I'd get into writing when I had some lived experiences, you know? Right, right. Um, and so I kept reading and I kept writing little stories just for myself and, and that sort of thing. And then when I was a grad student, I came upon an article on a blog that had a very clickbaity title. And it was something like how I'm using, how I'm writing romance to retire from my corporate job, mm. which, I mean, obviously click, right? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and I read through that and it was, just super interesting. And all these concepts I never heard about before, like self-publishing and, you know, and, and, and tropes, which I knew about instinctively from reading, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't heard this type of language before. And it really got my wheels turning. And for the next couple of months, I basically devoured everything I could about self-publishing, right? I was mm-hmm. on all the forums and people were super nice and kind and answered all my stupid questions, you know? <laughs> um, I listened to like all the podcasts I could and I, I really loved this this industry and the idea that I could actually do this myself. I didn't need to wait for an agent or a publishing house or for me to turn 40 or whatever like <laughs> timeline I had in my head. And so I started writing romance, um, which I'd always always loved anyway, right? But wow. now I knew, thanks to this article, that there was actually a market for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that was four years ago, give or take, that I released my first book, February 2019. Um, and it was dead in the water. I mean, it flopped completely. <laughs> but I had a lot of <laughs> I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh-huh. Um, and the complete freedom of it really satisfied me. Right. So I kept kept going. Right. Now was that book in a series or was that just it was just a standalone? Yeah, standalone, yeah. unedited. I'd made the cover myself. Mm-hmm. Um the title was, I thought, sort of mildly pithy, but it was definitely not, it didn't indicate trope or genre yes. or anything right. like that. Right. So every right. mistake in the book, basically. 
<laughs> so how learner you- book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what did you do after that? Did you do just another standalone? Did you do another series or did you do a series? What did you do? I, well, I wasn't, for some reason I wasn't discouraged, which now I'm, I might be, my, my book only made $48 in the first month. Um, but then I was like, wow, this is awesome. Someone actually bought my book, you know, and I was a student at the time. So I had some extra time and I mm-hmm. would, would love an extra income. Yeah. And so I jumped straight into to writing book two, which was a little bit of a gamble because I could have taken an actual summer job that, that mm-hmm. summer. But I was like, mm-hmm. no, 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 I see potential in this all based on my great book one, you know? Um, <laughs> And so I spent the summer writing another standalone, which mm-hmm. by, I think, I don't know, some miracle, I titled it so much better than the first book. So I gave it a title, Arrogant Boss. Oh, which is, yeah. Yeah. So like keyword, keyword, basically. Yes. Um, and I just, I mean, it was like striking gold right from the moment I, I released it, it. It had a steady flow of readers and right. I had a steady income after that. It wasn't huge, but it was, it was suddenly steady all from this mm-hmm. book, you know? Yeah. And I felt like I'd, I'd made it big. Yeah. Now, did you have that book edited and did you make the cover yourself? No, edit made the cover yourself. There you go. Yeah. You're on yeah. a, you're on a roll. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, still making a lot of mistakes, but I, at least I nailed the title and the book oh, was yeah. a bit lo- longer, which matters in KU, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Let's go. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that I didn't learn from that though. Oh. The next two books, the next two books, I, I really, I basically, I, I drew all the wrong lessons. I was like, uh, awesome. I'm now like a romance author. I'm like established. I can now, you know, branch out a little bit and write because I was in contemporary romance and I'd written uh-huh. two office romances, office slash billionaire. And then I went and brought, uh, wrote a small town ex-marine uh-huh. romance. And then I wrote a small town, rich girl, poor boy, like wrong side of the tracks kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, second chance romance. Uh-huh. And ob- obviously that made no sense, no sense, right? And I right. didn't have a readership that would follow me. I had, of course not. Yes. And so the next two books flopped as well, like the first uh-huh. one. Uh-huh. And I was like, I can't understand why this book called Arrogant Boss did so much better than this book called Rogue. It makes no <laughs> sense. <laughs> of course it makes sense. It took me a year to figure that out. Right, right, right. Yeah. Because arrogant boss is almost a trope unto itself. I mean, you know, it's 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 that office. Exactly. You just know what you're getting when you see it. Yeah, rogue. You're not sure. It could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. Any that could genre. be sci-fi. Yeah. Any genre. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, I think a year is actually a pretty short amount of time to figure things out because yeah. I think like it could take a lot longer. It takes me a while to, to sort things out. So I think that's pretty good. So now yeah. have you moved into like, do you write uh, billionaires? Like what tropes and what, what do you do now? Yeah. So I've, I've really tried to brand myself as a billionaire author because mm-hmm. it, it is sort of a niche, but it's actually a, a fairly broad niche, right? Mm-hmm. It's mainly that the, the man is, is rich and, and has um, usually his own business or something like that. But outside of that, you can really tailor it to whatever story you want to tell. Mm-hmm. And so I've I've found that to be a really great spot to be in. And when I realized that I need to brand myself and to actually sort of find a niche, not just contemporary romance, which is huge, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Right. Um, and that realization came spring 2020 when the world was ending. Um, and mm-hmm. I came to that realization late one night. 
uh, like, oh my God, I've been so stupid. And so I really went back to the drawing board, looked at Eric and Boss, what made that book sell organically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And how could I replicate that? Um, so write, writing a new series, because I'd read that that was a great, great strategy, right? Writing a standalone, mm-hmm. standalone mm-hmm. series where they're mm-hmm. still interconnected, but you mm-hmm. can pick them up from any, any direction. Right. And so that summer, I started writing um, the Seattle Billionaire series. Mm-hmm. And I gave them Billion Dollar Enemy, Billion Dollar Fiance, Billion Dollar Beast. They're all titled like that. Uh-huh. Keywords, keywords. Uh, they were yeah. <laughs> they were the bomb. Genius. Um, and so from there, they started selling organically. Yeah. Um, and since then, that's what I've been doing, really. Yeah. yeah. And they're super successful. I mean, you have tons of reviews and your rankings are great on those books. I mean, it's just, well, on all your books, I don't know if it's specifically the Seattle billionaires, but they're great. And yeah. So I just think you, you nailed it. I mean, that Mm -hmm. is exactly what you should have done. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that, like you said, you needed to brand yourself and you basically used like the keywords and the tropes, right. As you're kind of, you're going to focus on this where a lot of times we think of branding as like, the colors and the fonts and mm-hmm. how our website's going to look. But you went with branding a type of book, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah, I wanted the books to have the same feel, right? Mm-hmm. So that you could pick up any one of my books and you knew you, you knew automatically that you'd get the same hit, right? Right. From each and every one. Because um, I think that's a big part of what we want to cultivate with our readers is trust, right? Right. And mm-hmm. that if they pick up this book, they're going to get the experience that they're expecting. Right. Because other, otherwise, you know, you, they've wasted their money and most of all their time, right? They've spent yeah. eight, eight or yes. nine hours reading this book. Absolutely. And so I, and when you, conversely, when you find a new reader who really loves your latest book, you want them to be able to go back and read 10 books that all have the same-ish feel, right? Because right. that's how you get the whale readers. Right. So right. I, I, yeah, I really tried to do that early on. And I think that's worked well because now yeah. I, I really, one reader is quite valuable to me now since I have so many books that are very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And have you that. found that's that, just genius? Yeah. Have you Thank found you. that it's, uh, it's broad enough that you don't get bored? Cause I think that's things people worry about. They're like, Oh, if I narrow down to this, then after a while I'll get mm-hmm. bored with it. Mm-hmm. So far I haven't really, cause there are so many, there are many tropes and romance to explore. Right. And then mm-hmm. if you add, these two tropes together, you get one kind of story. But if you add two other tropes, even though it's one is the same, it's it's a completely different book, mm-hmm. right? right? Um, and then all of my books feature a lot of like business stuff. So the mm-hmm. hero often has his own business, but then the heroine often has ambitions of her own mm-hmm. that sometimes clash with the heroes. Right. And so mm-hmm. writing writing their professions has actually been very fun for me as well because then I can explore. Like I had someone who was a journalist. And then I went off and I, I watched some documentaries about journalism and about <laughs> yeah, so yeah. what's going on right now. And, and I can incorporate that. So it's, it's like that stuff is usually window dressing around a, a, the main core romance. Right? right. But it can actually be very fulfilling for you as an author. Like one of my, my recent releases, they play a lot of tennis. And that was her way of like, I don't know, working out her frustrations after her divorce and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that happened to coincide with me getting a tennis trainer and really <laughs> getting into the sport. And, you know, um, so you, you do what you, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that um, 
you talked about trust because I talk about it all the time. Like your brand is the promise you make to your readers and uh, you know, they, they know what they're going to get when they get an Olivia Hale book. And I love that. I think that that's what we should all really ascribe to and try, try to make happen in our books. So, you know, that's, that starts with the book page as well, right? With, with every single aspect oh, yeah, of it. Absolutely. The title, cover, blurb, mm-hmm. even author bio, look inside. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you want to signal as clearly as you can for the right readers and mm-hmm. also for the wrong readers. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't want someone to come onto my, my book page and buy it expecting a sci-fi and then right. leave a bad review. So right. Yeah. That's, that's a waste of all of our time. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, especially their time writing that review. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, what so, is your definition of success? I think it's it's changed a lot, and that's the hard part about all of this, right? It's the goalposts. Yeah. The goalposts mm-hmm. move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I've, this year, especially, I mean, this year just started, but um, maybe the last three or four months, I went to Ram and I listened to Sarah Cannon's uh, talk. And then I went through her HB90 course mm-hmm. and really trying to like define what is success for you. And I think, you know, in this business, you kind of have to wear two caps, right? Like you're an author sometimes and you're a business owner sometimes. And for my author self, my definition of success is definitely doing this full time, doing it at a comfortable pace. Because mm-hmm. the first two years, I think I was going at breakneck speed, really, yes. for, for my personality. Right. Um, and strengths and so now being able to slow down and actually write you know at a, a pace that feels comfortable and I can do other things in my life like playing <laughs> tennis um, <laughs> that's definitely a big part of it um, and then writing books and just being excited about the business I think that's the most important definition of success yeah. for my author self. yeah mm-hmm. and for my business self obviously when I put on that cap it's a lot more hard numbers you know hard cold facts Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more like long-term goals, diversification, things like that. And they often get in conflict with one another, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. which it's the tough part. Your business self is often much more like go, 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 rah, 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 right. than your, your like little mm-hmm. author self who wants yes. to, you know. Just leave me alone. I want to write this book and I'll yes. worry about that later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. So managing that conflict is like going to be, a, I guess, a lifelong thing. Probably. It will be. I think it. I think it always says. How often do you release now? And uh, now I do. I try to do four books a year. Yeah, yeah. So That's... last year that was actually three and a half because mm-hmm. I wrote one that I didn't release. It's going to be a summer release this year. Um, but yeah, so my, I strive for four a year, okay. and my first two years I was doing six a year, okay. which is, I mean, I'm still like times, yeah. No, go ahead. No, to use Becca Symes' language and strength, uh, the strength and everything, which I love. Uh-huh. I'm a number two intellection, which means like a lot of writers are, but we need more time to think yes. through our plots and for right. them to sort of gestate and everything. And right. and yeah, uh, so I need more time than I was giving myself in the beginning, mm-hmm. and that's resulted in a lot, you know, better books and a calmer me. And <laughs> right, right. Well, that's good because it's about longevity and yeah. quality yes. of life and you know or it should yes. be, I think it should be that's my opinion but yeah. um you know if we burn ourselves out we're we're no good to anybody so our no. readers ourselves our families you know nobody so um 
I think that that's really smart. Well, what do you wish you'd known about writing and craft uh, in the beginning? So many things. <laughs> so many things. <laughs> All the things. Um, I think I started out with a quite a rudimentary understanding of storytelling and that it was all about the plot. Mm-hmm. And the plot is definitely important, right? I mean, there's right. no alternative to plot. But there are so many other things that go into a great book and you're essentially crafting an experience, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that includes, you know, pacing and, and eliciting emotions from the reader and um, great characters and just the right amount of, of detail and, and all these sort of like really minute craft details that I wasn't thinking about. Right. So I really learned those. And then I would also have to say the universal fantasies I wish I'd known about earlier <laughs> with yeah. Theodora Taylor. Yes. Yeah. I'm super thankful that she released that book when she did, but I, I would have loved to have it two years earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was uh that seven figure fiction, right? By T yeah. Yeah. Taylor, if anybody's looking for yes. it, right? Yeah. Yes. And it's amazing. And the, <laughs> yeah, it's it really is. <laughs> It really is. And that concept of universal fantasies of sort of trying to inject them wherever you can in the book mm-hmm. to just make it like a juicier, better read. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that's that been so helpful for me because, you know, there are always some scenes or chapters in a book that you just have to get through for the plot. Right. Mm-hmm. right? right. This just needs to be there. But you don't want to have 600 words or a whole chapter. That's boring. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants that. Definitely not your readers. And so trying to in- inject like universal fantasies everywhere you can at every level uh-huh. and really trying to sort of pinpoint them that's been super helpful i find right i'm still working on that on that but i could have used it year one yeah 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 i agree there's so many things that i'm like oh like i look now and i go oh i get another reason readers yes. want this genre that i didn't get before and i'm like okay now i need to pay attention to that Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been helpful to know that before. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and they can be so small. It can even be just like a sentence. Like on Book Talk yeah. with romance, there are so many people who are like, and then he said this. And it's a line that's in so many romance books, but for some reason it just, people love it. It resonates. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And then you, you, you know, you need to put that in your book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, what about marketing? What do you wish you'd known about marketing? Again, so many things. <laughs> um, I think in the beginning, I really struggled with it and with the concept of it because I saw it as very different from this like artistic, mystical writing process. Mm-hmm. But the, but they're actually so intertwined or they should be mm-hmm. so intertwined. Right? I agree. Yeah. And marketing is also storytelling, right. really, when right. you're writing mm-hmm. ad copy or all of these things. That's what I like about Theodore's stuff too is that she talks about that. Like when she's mm-hmm. writing her book, she's thinking about lines or, or passages she can use in her mm-hmm. marketing because it is all part of the same thing. Because again, marketing is as much about attracting, I mean, repelling the wrong readers as it is about attracting the right readers. And so you want those things in your marketing mm-hmm. that are going to get you your book in front of the right readers. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I remember very clearly listening to um, a Melanie Harlow presentation. She always gives oh, yeah. the best presentation. Yes, she does. <laughs> um, at InkersCon, I think, two years ago. And it, she was talking about marketing and how it should really be, like before you even start writing or plotting, you should be thinking about marketing in terms right. of 
of everything, really, the plot, the tropes, you know, how will I package this book? And, and primarily, does the market even want it, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so much easier to sell a book to people who already want it mm-hmm. than to try to convince people who are like, oh, I don't usually read this trope, or this is a right. weird subversion of, of the genre, but okay, I'll give it a try, right? That's right. a super hard sell. Mm-hmm. You actually want to be on the reader's side and be like, look, I have an awesome thing that I know that you want. Right. So I've actually been reading up on what you want. Right. Um, you want to be marketing is all about like running downhill, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to uphill. Oh man, that's that's so good. Yeah. That's okay, exactly hold on. Right. I have to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put, that, put that in quotes because that was because uh, it's true. I mean, you know, in any marketing you do, you just you want to do what's going to gain you momentum and not mm-hmm. where you have to fight against everything else going on that's so that's so smart yeah, yeah. and you can you can never out market or out advertise a bad book you know right, right. and by, by bad i mean a book that won't sell because for some reason yes. the tropes are are completely off market or genre right. adjacent or something like that you know right and so that's right. just that's a waste of, of both money and time really yeah and, I, and i've tried to do that right with my my right. first sure. flops yeah we all have <laughs> but it's yeah. it's so much easier if you actually think about that stuff before you right. get writing yeah. Right. And the thing is, you know, the thing is, you can do all of these things we're talking about that, that seem a little formulaic and still be super creative in the process. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing I think that where genre fiction sometimes gets a bad rap, that mm-hmm. it's so formulaic and it's so it's not creative and you're just doing the same things. Yeah. But within the confines of that formula, you can do all kinds of stuff and that feed that creative um, muscle, you know, that you're, you're just dying to work. And so I think that um, people need to remember that. I mean, I think people should remember that, you know, and not just outright reject genre fiction for that, for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I actually find it. Oh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. I was going to go on to the next question, but I'd rather hear you talk. (laughs) <laughs> i'm just gonna just gonna say that i actually find genre fiction super freeing to write i do too it's like yeah you don't have that that blank page yes, you don't yeah. i mean you always do with with a new manuscript but it's not actually blank because you have what your readers want and expect you have what the genre requires what the tropes yes. you know include that you're going to write and that's super freeing because then you can be creative around that it's like you have a skeleton right mm-hmm. or you have a box in which to to draw yeah right um yeah, I, I think of it as like I, you have a framework and then like yeah. you can use certain things and, you know, you can build a house this way or you can build it this way. Which one am I going to do mm-hmm. today? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. I love that, too. I do too. Well, yesterday I started uh, a book um, mm-hmm. and I have I don't know if you know, I haven't written in like a year. And so um, it was a little nerve wracking and I started writing and I would I don't know, I wrote maybe 500 words. I was like, oh well, this is a good, you know, like it had a catchy first line and I was like, well, this is good. And then I went to bed last night and I was like, you know what? That is not, I mean, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. That's not what my readers are wanting. They want something a little bit more on the edge of what I wrote. And so now today I'm going to go back and fix it. And, uh, but yeah, knowing kind of what your readers expect helps mm-hmm. you too. I mean, it just helps you to write um, 
and give them what they want. So I, I think I think that's great. Um, Absolutely. What what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career and looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? Well, I think one of the big ones I did was um, the assumption that all re- writers or authors are the same yeah. in terms of, of how we approach this this job and how much we can write each day, you know, in particular, and that we all have the same, I mean, that it's a very formulaic job and it's not, right? It really depends yeah. on who you are as a person, again, with the Becca Syme stuff, but what <laughs> strengths you have, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and there's, Again, with the uphill downhill thing, actually, because when you're fighting against what your natural inclinations are, you're fighting a losing battle, right? And you're feeling terrible about yourself every day when you, mm-hmm. like me, there during my second year, it's like, why can't I write like 8,000 words a day? You know, why can't I write 10,000 words a day like some people can, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it just wasn't possible. I'm not that fast of a thinker. Mm-hmm. And so it's much better for me to write 2,000 words steady every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and continually you know think about my about the plot and, and process right. the characters to mm-hmm. so keep that engine going essentially it's mm-hmm. much better for me than than doing it in short spurts and so when I was starting out it felt like there was um like a one way you know there was a one size fits all kind of thing mm-hmm. and I think I've I really learned throughout these years that that's just not true right yeah. right yeah I think the writing community we tend to like the stories of people who like write 8,000 words a day or crank out 12 books a year, that's very dramatic, you know? And we're like, Oh, that's cool. I want to do that. But yeah, that's, it's not everybody can do that. And some people that's just easy for them or they just, you know, writing has always Mm -hmm. worked, but it's like, it comes naturally then to write quickly. And some of us, Mm -hmm. that's not how we're built. And you're right. Trying to do that just makes us exhausted and frustrated. So it feels like you're yeah. you're fighting a losing battle too, right? Yeah. Whereas right. when you're working with your strengths and with your your natural inclinations and your personality, then you're you're you know you have the wind at your back or in your sails, yeah. and, and it's a much better feeling. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> much better feeling. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. From someone who's try- spent a good part of her career trying to be like other people as far as productivity uh, is mm-hmm. concerned, and failing, and then feeling horrible about herself because. I failed because that's not how my brain works. And so, um, but then getting a better self for success. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, have you, we like to talk about mistakes and lessons learned and things like that. So have you ever had a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? So I've had a lot of mistakes. I don't (laughs) think that they've necessarily been good things. Maybe that's just my personality, but I don't, I, I'm like, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe that's the good thing, learning yeah. from them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So definitely that first year with everything I did, not editing my books was a mistake. Uh-huh. I was going to ask if them. you were editing now, but I thought, well, I better not open that can of worms. So <laughs> just, just yeah. it no, I have an editor now and a proofreader and an ARC team that still catches typos because they yes. always slip through. They always yes. slip through. Um, it's impossible to eliminate them all. Mm-hmm. And so I would have done that um, differently in the beginning. I would have understood marketing much earlier, I think, in terms of, you know, the title, the cover, right. getting right. all of that right and getting the branding right. Right. I'm, st- I'm still happy I realized that after a year, but that first year and, and three of those four books were, I mean, 
I would have done everything differently now <laughs> with those stories because the, the stories yeah. weren't bad. There was yes. nothing wrong about the stories. It was the packaging. Yes. You know, yeah. that was completely wrong. Yeah. And I think that's important too for our listeners to understand, <clears throat> pardon me, is that, I, I, you know, there are a lot of writers that say, I don't want to advertise. I don't want, I don't, mm -hmm. I just want to write my books. I don't want to advertise. Well, here's the deal. You're, if you put a book out, you're advertising mm -hmm. because that book is saying something. The cover of that book is saying something. The blurb of your book is saying something that is mm -hmm. advertising, whether you like it or not. So it should, you should at least try to make it on point for mm -hmm. the genre and the readers you're, you're targeting. And definitely. Uh, yeah. And even like, even the story, you know, the, the look inside, I think I, I only oh, yeah. realized how important that was after about a year and a half. Yeah. You know, yeah. that so many, so many readers, because I think that's the big thing in this industry too, that I, I didn't think about in the beginning. You need to think like a reader uh -huh. and you need to have the reader's perspective at every level of your business. Like mm -hmm. every decision you take mm -hmm. should be with the reader in mind. Right. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and how you can provide value to them. Right. right. With your newsletter, with your bonus content, with the cover, with, I mean, with everything. Mm -hmm. And you want to make it as easy for them as possible to identify this is the book they want and then easy for them to go to the next book. I mean, everything. Right. So you really want to have them at the forefront of everything right. you do. Right. Yeah. Great answer. Great answer. <laughs> well, what about the opposite have you ever had a good idea and you thought this is a home run and then it turned out not to be mm. besides that first book <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly that yeah that first year basically um i would say that you know i had a series that now i might have cut it short earlier than i did Mm -hmm. and so my the third book i released the, the rogue book right yes. it was it was built up to be four brothers mm -hmm. and i was like darn four, four brothers i'm locked into this idea you yeah. know mm -hmm. yeah um and of course i wasn't you know no one <laughs> right. was, and, and especially that early on in your career but i ended up writing the second book which did much better because i realized what i'd done wrong so i gave it a, uh -huh. a um a keywordy title but mm -hmm. then i was like well now i have two brothers left mm-hmm and I ended up finishing that series and the last book in that series, the final brother got his book last year. And I'm not, I'm not sure if I regret doing it because I do feel good about having that series completed and behind me. Right. But those two final books in that series were my worst performing each year yeah. they came out. Right. Because they are sort of a small town. They're just a different feel than my billionaire mm -hmm. books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I felt yeah. like I really wanted to, you know, be loyal to my super fans and sort of honor their trust because they'd invested into the series that was now halfway done yeah um and so i really wanted to to honor that and but at the same time you know they, they didn't do as much um, right. or as well mm -hmm. right so it's, a, it's still a tricky thing obviously it's done so i'm still um, i have no choice but to be happy with it because the alternative right. would be worse <laughs> <laughs> um but going forward if i i think i'll have easier like fail safes built into my series. I want to yes. have ways that I can extricate myself right. in case something goes wrong. Right. Yeah. And that's true. That's hard because mm -hmm. you want to set the book up for a follow-up book, you know, mm -hmm. a next book in the series. But on the other hand, you don't want to set it up so much that you're obligated or feel obligated to write it. So that that's tricky. Uh, yeah. It's a very delicate really balance. Is. Yeah. If um, readers are trying to, or if, if listeners are trying to figure out how they could 
do that themselves. Do you have any tips on like doing a fail safe way of, like you said, you'd have some fail safes to help you out. Do you know what mm-hmm. any, do you have any ideas on what those might be? Um, not brothers yeah, <laughs> or, or siblings. Cause then you have a very clear set of, of people yes. to work with. Right. I would also add that siblings are tricky because they have the same upbringing. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like building yeah. emotional wounds into your stories, mm-hmm. you can't give one of them like a, a verbally abusive dad who ran away when he was eight. And then you can give the other, I mean, you can't, right. Cause it's the yeah. same backstory. Right. So that is just tricky just right off the bat. Um, yeah. But I think avoiding siblings or big sibling groups, obviously you can have like one sister, one brother into the next yes. book, but mm-hmm. big sibling groups. And then also when you have a really predefined, like one of my series, they're um, four business partners. Mm-hmm. And I introduced all four of them in book one. And mm. that was looking back, that was a great decision because that's my best selling series, right? The New York Billionaires, mm-hmm. where I took everything I learned from my first big series and just did a 2.0, right? A yeah. refined version. Yeah. Right. So, so that turned out great. But I think that's definitely a riskier option if you're starting out or if you're unsure about something. Right. It's better to do loosely connected books where maybe it's like the heroine in book one's best friend right. that gets the book two. And then that person has a brother that gets book three, but that brother's not introduced until book two. Yeah. You know, so it's like a more organic kind of connecting thread mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you yeah. can cut wherever you want because you're introducing <laughs> the next one in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's but really that's smart. not, again, that's not as strong as having all characters in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on what, what your goal is and how sure you are that this series is going to be a home run. Yeah. Yeah. And Which how much hard, you really you want to write really it. be sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how much you want to write it. That's exactly right. So uh, going back to your rogue book, did you change mm-hmm. the title of that book or did you think about changing the title of that book? Yep. So I re-released it last year under a new mm-hmm. title. It still doesn't have a great title because it's not, a great book in terms of like tropes to use, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. Um, so now it's called dark eyed devil, mm-hmm. but it fits much better in the series. So yeah. I've tried to rebrand that series as best as I can. So they have more like cohesive um, titles and mm-hmm. the other books do have a bit more tropey titles. Mm-hmm. I gave them as the best covers I could. They now have discrete covers as well. And mm-hmm. so I've tried to give them the best shot at success and they're, they're still an earner for me. Mm-hmm. They're just, um, not a not a big one compared to the other ones, right. and I would say that right now they're more of a super fan service mm-hmm. rather than um, drawing in new readers, right? Because mm-hmm. you have some some books that really are workhorses for you, and yes. they will they will always chart. You will always get you know good click through rates mm-hmm. on ads, and and mm-hmm. they're essentially an entry point for you. And then you right. have some books that are just fan service, really. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. That. I, you know, I always talk about people when I do consultations and I say something about changing your covers and people are so super resistant. Um, and, but I, and I kind of get not offended, but like, it's a, it's a sticking point for me when people are really resistant, but, but I've been the same way. Like my mm. small town royalty series it's homecoming king and duking it out. I love those titles, but I think home probably homecoming king has an indication that it's a younger book than it is, you know, younger. And 
I have been so resistant to changing those titles and I really mm-hmm. shouldn't be. I really should think about changing the titles and just the whole thing of that series, even though I do love duking it out. But, um, you know, even, even, I mean, we all do it. We all mm-hmm. do it in one way or the other. We're just super attached to the things that mm-hmm. that we create. And so we need to hold it with a, an open hand, so to speak. And that's what we spoke about earlier as well. It's like the business cap or the author cap, right? And sometimes the author right. cap is really precious about yeah. the stories or titles and the things we've created. But the business yeah. business you uh, is often or needs to be sometimes a bit more like, well, they're assets. They're already produced. Right. How can we how can we make sure that they end up in more hands? Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard to distance yourself enough to make mm-hmm. those judgments. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the way to know, like, maybe we need to be self-aware enough to say, like, when we have that instant, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Maybe be self-aware mm-hmm. enough to go, well, maybe I need to think about this a little bit more. Because right. I have certain mm-hmm. things that I've been like, like, for me, like, it was like doing direct sales. I just didn't want us to collect sales tax. I was like, I just don't want to do it. No, nope, yes. not do it. And now that I've kind of gotten over that hurdle, it's like it's not that bad, and it's mostly <laughs> set up. And so, like, I think like I could have been doing this years ago if I had just. Mm-hmm. But like for me, that was like an automatic no. I was like, no, that's too much mm-hmm. work. But maybe I need to be a little more. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes ideas just need to mature. You know, I mean, yes. I have right now. I have a Patreon idea and a Kickstarter idea. And I know, and I've been to all these conferences and I've listened to all these these talks and this might be like a year from now. I, mm-hmm. I know I'm not ready to, to pull the trigger, but it's like right. percolating up in there, yeah, you know? Right, right. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that idea of percolation and in mm-hmm. being so high in election, you, you know, you need more time for that too. I feel you on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can imagine because you write murder stuff, right? Like yes. mysteries and yeah. Yeah. That feels like a very intellectual thing. Yeah. It takes me a while to get everything all lined up for the plots and characters and stuff. So yeah, I understand that. I can imagine, yeah. Um, what's the <laughs> biggest mindset change you've had uh during your career? Mm. I think we've sort of touched on it a little bit, but the whole idea of putting the reader first Mm -hmm. and sort of starting to see things from their perspective. Yeah. Um, Because before I was sort of like an an author trying to cater to readers. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm much more now reader centric as in what would they, what would they like, right? What would they want to receive in their inbox with this newsletter? Um, Mm -hmm. All this sort of thing. So I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm much more in their headspace now than I was in the beginning. Right. And like when you when you go to a book page on Amazon, you want to lower every single threshold for them to click. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't right. thinking like that in the beginning, you know, and when, even now when I read blurbs that other often newer authors write, and we've all done this, but you put, you're so plot centric in your right. blurbs. It's like, they're not going to give you six seconds and read through all of this unless you yeah. give them the most important thing in the hook. Right. Because mm-hmm. pe- people yeah. are busy. People have a lot of stuff going on and they're just browsing Amazon and especially if they're Kindle Unlimited readers, actually. Obviously, they pay a monthly fee, but when they're looking at a book page, they're not going to spend money, right? They're just going to click download. Right. Mm-hmm. So the real the real hurdle there is to like, is this worth my eight hours? Mm-hmm. Right? Is this going to is this going to give me the hit I want? And I wasn't thinking like that when I started in terms of 
what is like put on your reader goggles you know Mm -hmm. i think that's really helped me throughout these past i think two years in particular to really change out from the author to the reader right Mm -hmm. and then you have to change back obviously when you're writing (laughs) but you you do need to be able to do that shift i think yeah well what do you do for like your um bonus content and newsletters and stuff like that how do you put the reader first do you have some examples that would help uh, illustrate that yeah, so I love my newsletter. <laughs> and it, it did not start out that way. Like I was so resistant to newsletters, um, like you mentioned with sales sales packs for the first two years. And I hated it. And I was like, what am I going to write? No one's going to want to read this, you know? Right. And then I took a bunch of different courses and I, I subscribed to, to really great authors who had good newsletters. Mm-hmm. And that was also a bit of a mindset shift, actually, mm-hmm. to start thinking about like, what type of content can I produce? Mm-hmm. including what stories can I write, like stories about my own life that mm-hmm. will be engaging to people. Right. Um, and so now I write bonus content for every book. It's always a, like a minor story set, usually two to 10 years after the end, that happily ever after. Uh-huh. So it's just like a little extra glimpse into their lives, right? Right, right. And that's um, um, a cookie, I think, Tammy yes. calls it, right? Yeah. 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 So it's it's you have to sign up to get it. And so... Mm-hmm that's all I've done for my newsletter. And so it's grown organically throughout the, the years, really. Mm-hmm. Um, until now, it's almost 40,000. And I send a newsletter every other other, other week. <laughs> and uh, not other week. It's a different <laughs> I was going to say other sign. <laughs> Another word would not be fine. So go ahead. No. <laughs> uh, and so they, they get an email every other week with, um, I try to do as much bonus content as I can. Um, and sometimes that's just like a text exchange between two characters. Um, or sometimes it's like a little art I've commissioned, something like that, you mm-hmm. know, just mm-hmm. to, to keep their interest. And I don't know, I've just, I found that I really enjoy it. And I really had to learn how to put on that voice mm-hmm. of like your newsletter persona, which yes. is usually like bubbly and you're like excited to talk about books and right. you're not bothering them. And the thing is, because I used to struggle with this, right? That you're bothering your subscribers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you are, they will unsubscribe. Yes. Like yeah. you're not holding them hostage. They're free to leave. <laughs> yeah. If they want to leave, like go right ahead. You know, it's not yeah. nothing personal. It's a self-correcting process. You know, they, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If they don't exactly. want to be there, they'll, they won't be. So that's great. And I, I find the the bonus content creation process very creative as well. So mm-hmm. I'll do quizzes, like yeah. which of my heroes from the series would be your, like your ideal man, you know? Right. And I have a quiz that's like, how well do you know my books? And it's just like questions about these little aspects of the books. Right. Um, so a newsletter might go out with a quiz, you know, so it's, it's a, another aspect of this business that is actually quite creative when you let it just like marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do I you, I, I was thinking like, I talked to one author one time, or maybe I was on a podcast, heard her on a podcast. She said she takes about a day to craft a newsletter. And I've noticed that when I'm really thinking about it, I'm like, okay, so it, some, it will often take me like a whole day to do things. So like, how much time do you spend preparing your newsletter? Probably a day, to be honest. <laughs> I, it, it, it should take, I know some authors, it takes like an hour and that's awesome. But I don't know, I'm such a perfectionist and like, I want <laughs> a day. It's, it's going. A day for you yeah, I'm like, if it's more than an hour, I'm probably not sending it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's 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 bad and like i think it's because i get so into the like the nitty-gritty details like if i'm sending out like a recipe that's that one of the characters 
um, yeah. had in a book, then I want to make sure like the graphic is just perfect. And then I want to have it in like both imperial measurements and metric measurements because I have readers right. all over the world. So that's like two versions of it. And then I need to have a little text and I want to have a little joke. And like, I get so into it because I am a perfectionist. Um, so yeah, it's a problem. But it's fun to do like on your laptop while you're watching a movie in the evening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I try not to let it compete with um, writing time. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Oh my gosh, that's great. Well, let's talk about audiobooks just real quickly. You, mm-hmm. because you're in Europe, you mm-hmm. have, you you are wide with your audiobooks because you can't be exclusive. Am I, am I getting that right with ACX? Yes. So ACX is exclusive to the US and UK. You have to have your, you know, your company, everything registered there. So right. that's not something I can do. So I use Findaway, mm-hmm. uh, Findaway Voices, mm-hmm. yeah, which distribute to, gosh, they're adding new platforms all the time. But I mean, it's probably over 30 platforms, mm-hmm. uh, different audiobook platforms. Um, and I, that's been great for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I have nothing to compare it to, right? Right. right. <laughs> um, but so far, it's been really good, and I like the idea of being wide with audio as well, uh-huh. since I'm exclusive with my with my eBooks. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so it, it strikes me as another way to catch people, um, right, in a wider net. Because not all my books have audio, mm-hmm. so if you get really hooked on on my storytelling, then you might you know be drawn back into the Amazon net yeah, <laughs> you might read right. books my books there yeah. um, and find a way it's been a super I should say like helpful and, and very responsible distributor as well like they're very right. responsive if you have problems and stuff like that so mm-hmm. so far it's been great yeah, yeah. that's good that's yeah. good um go ahead Sarah I just say is that how you found your narrator was through find away voices or Yes. Yeah. So, so she auditioned together with a couple of others when I was doing my first audiobook back in the day. And since then, we've just really clicked. And she has a, a great sort of network with male narrators. So when we started mm-hmm. doing dual point of view, she still handles everything. Mm-hmm. And so now we handle the audio ourselves. And then I just upload it to find a way. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, we're hoping to have find a way on here again. We've had them on before, but we're hoping to have them on again because I think they... You know, it's just good for authors to know there's another there's another option. Yeah. Because yes. Sarah, you're Maybe. not exclusive. No, no. Yes. And I feel like being even if you're in KU, you can still be wide with your audio and yeah. your print books. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's a way to diversify. You know, like if you're yeah. trying to get multiple streams of income and not be so dependent on mm-hmm. one, you mm-hmm. know, source, then that's like the that can be like the first step to right. diversify your income. And right. I found that um libraries are really like it's a way that you can get your book to stand out whereas like you know everybody talks about how flooded and how crowded amazon is and ku but if your audiobooks are in libraries then that can help you stand out because there's just not as many when people go search for a certain you know sub 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 genre Mm -hmm. if there's you know 50 audiobooks available through your library that's a much smaller pool and you can get readers that way and you get paid because of the um, per checkout model or however, however the library set it up, you know, right. So right. I'd recommend checking right. it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and I was today years old when I found out you could not be exclusive with ACX. If you didn't live, have a company <laughs> in the U S or the UK, I mean, is it UK only U S and UK? Yeah. I mean, it, it, they might've expanded it to Canada and Australia. 
Yeah. Um, I'm unsure. I mean, since it hasn't affected me, (laughs) (laughs) but they might've done that. I'm I'm not sure. So there are probably listeners that did not know that. So I'm glad you brought that up. So, yeah. And then also, I, I mean, I, obviously I am exclusive to Amazon with my eBooks, but I Uh do like the idea of, of not having a monopoly, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and obviously audible is huge. I'm not sure if you guys caught that Brandon Sanderson post. About oh yeah, his latest book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, super interesting. But um, yeah, very. Yeah, so my books are on Spotify now as well. Um, through oh, Find a Way, awesome. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, although only in the U.S., so I haven't seen them on my Spotify yet. But I've been told they're there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, that's one thing that I was thinking about. Like as authors, I feel like we try and do so much, but these companies, when they do things, they roll things out. And they're like, okay, we're going to roll out in the U.S. first. And then hopefully eventually, you know, they roll out in the other countries. And I think that's okay if we, like I was thinking about the direct sales thing. Mm-hmm. I may roll that out first to my U.S. readers and say, okay, I'm yes. working on, because there's like things you can file for. So people don't have to pay that, you know, when things yeah. arrive and stuff, but I've got to work all that out. So like, it's okay yeah. if I want to get started to do a smaller thing and mm-hmm. then roll out that way. So something that I don't always do. I was trying to do it all. Mm-hmm. And, and I try to do very little. So <laughs> yeah, I know you, you balance each other out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you do. So I wanted to ask you about merchandise. I saw on your website you have merchandise, and so could you tell us like how you um, got the designs and and how and what the response of your readers has been? So the the merch was really a fun thing. I wanted to put in my newsletter, <laughs> and I wanted to have them for for giveaways as well. Um, little little things and so the designs i did myself um in canva and photoshop and Mm -hmm. the images used are deposit uh, photos um and then they're done through redbubble Mm -hmm. so that's a pretty popular like print on demand service Um, and they have shipping facilities all across the world so if you someone buys something through them they'll handle everything and and they'll ship it and um, all that stuff and you just get like a little royalty percentage Mm -hmm. Um, I did set the markup to very, very low because I wanted this to be like a fun thing for my readers and it's mm-hmm. not going to be an income stream. Right. Now. Um, and so far it, it hasn't sold a lot, but it has sold some. And I, I like it when you know some readers will tag me in social media with them like drinking from an actor capital mug, which is the, the company that the billionaires in New York billionaire series have. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's just a fun little thing. It's like a, a fan service, super fan thing that just kind of deepens the relationship between you and your reader community mm-hmm. right right um, and it's super fun to having giveaways as well to be like you'll win the series plus a mug a hat or, yeah. <laughs> or a mug yeah yeah yeah. Like yeah and then do you like if somebody wins do you ship it through redbubble to them or do you order and then reship so far i've done it that i've ordered it and then reshipped and i have okay. an assistant in the u.s who handles a lot of of shipping for u.s giveaways and then i can do ones here mm-hmm. um and so so far i've done it like I want them to get one package from me, you yes. know, just yeah. I feel like it's like a nicer feel, Yeah, um, but it hasn't, hasn't happened so many times yet. So if it becomes a very common occurrence, I might have to do straight from Redbubble. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking that could streamline things. Like if you, yes. a lot of people don't want to do the packing and shipping themselves. So like if you can order and like have them send it, that could be a way to make it a little Definitely. easier. Yeah. Cause I was actually curious about that. Cause I was listening to an episode about your Kickstarter journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but you did you didn't do any shipping yourself, right? Book vaulted everything. I had correct? them send it to me and then I signed everything and then I 
mailed it again. So it was like, you have to calculate for double shipping, like them to ship you the books and then for you to mail them out. But in the US, we can use media mail. So it's it's a lot cheaper than like if I'm mailing within the US was not that expensive. So that worked yeah. out. Yeah. No, she yeah, had tons of part. books piled up behind her there on that desk. So. <laughs> yeah. And they're all gone. They're all out now, which is yeah. good. And a sore wrist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, tell us, um, this has been great. And um, I've, I've learned something. And uh, I, I just love hearing your story. And I just love the, the fact that you got it. And then you applied it, you know, I mean, like you figured it out, but then you just kind of went all in. And I love that. But tell us what you think you the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success. Mm. I think that the one thing is that when I learn something, I like you said, I apply it like my, mm-hmm. my number one is achiever. My yeah. second is intellection. Yeah. So mm. it might take me a long. So it might take me a long time to figure something out. Right. But once I do, I love acting on it. Right. And so I'm I'm not someone to, you know, sit and and on my laurels, right? Like I want to get stuff done. As, when, as soon as I know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna get it done. Right. Um so maybe that's personality wise. But I would say that a big part of, of me being successful in this is that I love to learn new things. Mm-hmm. And I threw myself into self-publishing, being like, oh my God, this is a new field. I can learn everything. Right. Right. There's so many things to learn about all aspects of it. Newsletters, Mm -hmm. Facebook advertising, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. writing good blurbs. And there's so many aspects of this business that are new and that are ever changing. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that I I threw myself into that, learned as much as I could and continue to learn, or Mm -hmm. at least I try to continue learning. Right. Right. There's not a course I haven't bought. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Hi, in election. Yeah. (laughs) yeah fourth learner yeah i was gonna say learner must be up there too yeah well i think um, that's probably it yeah yeah, i think that's great and i think that's one thing that's great about this is it can be overwhelming but at the same time we're not ever going to be bored because there's always things are always changing there's always gonna be something new to learn so i think that's great i mean this is the best career (laughs) it is it it really is and it's It's so flexible like having control of your time is just it's priceless yeah yeah Absolutely. Yeah. We've talked about that a lot this year. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. 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 I yeah, I've heard. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I've heard and I'm sorry for your loss. I oh, thank you. you. Thank you. But, but no. yeah, it was a bad year. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be better. It's going to be better. But yeah. again, had I not had this job, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have, been, it would have been a, horrible i mean you know it would have made it so much more horrible so not much harder yeah. yeah yeah so yeah. yeah that flexibility is just yeah priceless really it really yeah. is yeah i told my kids the other day i said i'm unemployable and they were like shocked and i was like no no i mean i just i couldn't ever go back to work a 40 hour a week anymore and they were like oh okay no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been so good. So tell everybody where they can find out more about you and your books. Well, I'm on Amazon and nowhere else. Okay. (laughs) Um, Unless you find my audiobooks, they're everywhere except YouTube, where they apparently are, but not legally. Right. Um, (laughs) So you can find me on Amazon and then you can find me on my website, which is oliviahale.com. All right. Great. 
All right. Well, we will have all those links in the wish I known them podcast.com show notes. That's where they'll be. And um, thanks to Alexa Larberg for editing and producing the podcast and to Adriel Wiggins for doing the admin. We'll see everybody next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the wish I'd known then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.